You're listening to the Yoga Teacher Resource Podcast. Knowledge, techniques, and inspiration for your teaching and your practice. I'm your host, Mado Hesselink. If you're a yoga teacher who loves learning, is passionate about spreading the benefits of yoga, and desires more resources to support your teaching, you're in the right place. Let's get started with today's episode. Hello, yoga teacher. Today's episode is a conversation with Science of Yoga author Anne Swanson. Stay tuned to the end for a chance to win a copy of her book. With a Master of Science in Yoga Therapy and roots studying yoga in India and Tai Chi and Qigong in China, Anne applies cutting-edge research to mind-body practices while maintaining the heart of the traditions. I am personally fascinated by the way that science and yoga intersect. Yoga is such a huge body of practice that if we try to focus on every single aspect, we do ourselves a disservice in the possibility for depth. When you first start teaching, it can be helpful to explore a ton of different approaches and different practices and different teachers, but if you want to tap into your potential to go deep, you do need to eventually pick an approach and really dive in. Because I respect the attempts that science makes to overcome personal bias and to control for confounding factors, that's the place that holds the most appeal for me. Science is not another belief system. It is in constant evolution, and it is always trying to improve itself, and I have so much respect for that. Last year, I toyed with the possibility of getting my doctorate in physical therapy. In fact, I took some prerequisite classes, including anatomy and physiology. Ultimately, I decided against pursuing that path because while I do love the physical practice, my deeper interest lies in the mental processes of yoga, and I didn't want to spend so much time and money distracting myself from the aspects of the practice that are most important to me. However, this means that I'm even more reliant on those who invest the time to learn the science in an academic setting. Anne Swanson is one of those people. She has a knack for picking and choosing the most important aspects of the science and simplifying it without watering it down. If you're as interested in the science of yoga as I am, or if you'd really like to learn more about it, but maybe feel intimidated, keep listening and make sure to stay tuned in until the end for a chance to win a copy of Anne's book. Anne, welcome to the Yoga Teacher Resource Podcast. Hey. So happy to have you. I've got a copy of your new book in my hands here. It's really beautiful. The Science of Yoga, Understand the Anatomy and Physiology to Perfect Your Practice. And what I love about it, in addition to the incredible illustrations, is how you address multiple systems of the body. It seems like a lot of anatomy books or a lot of yoga books really stick to just the musculoskeletal system. And I think it's really cool how you really go into all the different systems of the, of the body that yoga affects. Yeah, that was really important to me. And I just want to make one point. It's actually science of yoga, not to be confused with the science of yoga, which was a uh, slightly scandalous New York Times bestseller. Um, my book is a practical book for teachers and yogis. And like you said, it goes through all the systems of the body, uh, not just musculoskeletal. That is really, I think, yes, yoga does affect 
the mus your muscles and your bones. But really the magic of yoga happens in your nervous system, in your lymphatic and immune systems, boosting immunity um, to your cardiovascular system, helping to reduce blood pressure and, and all of these things affecting the major lifestyle diseases that are in the modern day, really the biggest things that our societies are dealing with. A lot of yoga teachers tell me that they feel intimidated by anatomy and not so engaged with it. And I have a sense that if they were to be exposed more to these other layers, to these deeper, more subtle layers, that it would actually inspire them to, to understand how incredibly magical the study of the human body is. It really is. And I hope that my book, Science of Yoga, um, allows people to get past that intimidation factor. Listen, I went to art school undergrad. I, I grew up with everybody telling me I was such a wonderful artist and, and I liked to you know dance around the house. And that's who I was in my family full of scientists. And it wasn't until af after I was in India studying yoga that I realized like, oh, I think I'm interested in biology and the human body. So I did a complete 180. And I, after that point, you know, I didn't have any of the base studies. I didn't study in college, chemistry, biology, anatomy. So I went through it all at, you know, in my, my early to mid twenties, I did a, a switch where I did pre-med course load and I started to do massage and I worked in a cadaver lab. And so I had to learn from the base level and what I like hope that my experience as somebody that's into the body and into massage and yoga and Tai Chi, but also into art and, and visuals and really engaged by visuals, I hope that experience comes through to the book. That I, I think that this book helps that, that learner, like so many yogis are, that learner that is a kinesthetic, physical body, you know, needs to feel it in their body learner and a visual learner. Because the visuals in this, I mean, I really had world-class illustrators, the top in the world. Yeah, the, the illustrations are incredible and really easy to understand. I was telling you earlier before we started recording of how impressed by how much detail you got in in such a simple way. So it's really kind of the just what you need to know, nothing extra, and I'm glad you point out that it's fairly concise. I mean, even though it's a reference book, it's not the type of book you're going to sit down and read from cover to cover. Uh, I did attempt to make it as concise as it could be to address the things that yogis and yoga teachers and yoga therapists really need to know. Would you say that the book is somewhat a way of connecting what we as yoga teachers learn in teacher training and bridging the gap between that and what a student of ours might be able to understand and might be interested in as far as the benefits of yoga when they are a little bit more evidence-based and maybe on the skeptical side? Yeah, I mean, I definitely have citations of peer-reviewed resources, references in the back of the book that uh, explain it in more depth, but the text in the book itself is pretty concise. So it's getting right to the point. And if you as a teacher 
um, want to use that as a way to explain better to your students, I think that's a great resource. This is a great reference for that. And then if you're like, wait, I want to know a little bit more about where this comes from, look in the back of the book for the references. And also on my website, scienceof.yoga, I have it like a printed link, linked version you can sign up and get. Um, and that those references, you can read the actual peer-reviewed articles and dive deeper or read books that I recommend in order to get deeper into the topics. But I, I think the key is how do we communicate this to our students in a way that they're going to digest, in a way that's going to make them realize like, oh, there's some legitimacy to this yoga thing. It's not just all woo-woo uh, claims. There's actual science to support the benefits. In the book, you talk about the biopsychosocial spiritual model. I've heard of the biopsychosocial model. So can you explain and dive into a little bit why you add that spiritual component, what it means and how it connects to yoga? Yeah, great question. I'm glad you asked that. And actually, it's not me that added the spiritual component. It's researchers in the yoga field. So uh, researchers, that's basically their term for the kosha, biopsychosocial spiritual. That's like what is accepted in the research community as a technical term. Often it has hyphens between it. It's a very, very long technical word. So what it basically means is that yoga affects us on all of those four realms. So the biologically, uh, this yoga affects our genetics, can change our telomere length, can change how our genes are expressed, change obviously our physical health and well-being, fitness, and uh, reduce symptoms of disease states. Also, uh, psycho. So it also affects us on that psychological side. So it affects our mood and mental health. Social, yoga is social. We go and we see people in classes, or even if you're working one-on-one with somebody, then you're still developing that relationship with others. And then the spiritual component added to that is really about that self-actualization, self-realization, the purpose and meaning you have in life. And I think this is a key component that we can't leave out. And I'm so glad that researchers aren't shying away as much from leaving that out, that spiritual side. This is the most common question I get is how do I reconcile my interest in science and research and spirituality. There was a long time where I thought I couldn't have both. And it was almost like I was hiding. I was living two lives. I was going to massage school and yoga classes and hanging out with all my like spiritual friends and, you know, talking to my, my guru in India on, on, Facebook Messenger, and like I had this side to me, but then I was working in a cadaver lab and assisting anatomy and physiology courses, and I was doing uh, bio biology courses, and I had, you know, I couldn't really talk about the things in each of those sides, and there was a long time, even on my website, I didn't use the word spiritual. I didn't want to scare people away. And then I realized, wait, they don't have to be separate. Those both can exist simultaneously. You can have spirituality, however, whatever word you want to use for that. Like you don't even have to use the word spirituality. You can say purpose and meaning. You can have this like sense of, of seeking or recognizing your purpose and meaning and all the other things with the science and the research both can exist at once. So now I don't shy away from using the word spiritual. 
I almost think that the they can feed each other because to me, when I learn, especially about the human body and how much mystery there still is around it, it it really makes me feel connected, actually. It makes me feel excited and open to the mystery of all that we still don't know. Yeah, the sense of wonder and curiosity, this constant questioning, and not in this like negative sort of way, but like questioning in this, there's just an infinity. There's more to know, more to experience. I love that because that's part of why I love yoga is that it's not a simple A plus B equals C. It's not a simple formula. It's not a simple system. It's incredibly complex and it's constantly being fed by other systems. And so it's a living organism in a way. Similarly, I feel like science is the same, that it's constantly being informed <laughs> from all of these different angles and our perspective of it is, keeps evolving and keeps changing. So, you know, an asymptote, and mathematics, it's this line that gets closer and closer and closer to another line. Like you can imagine a graph, it just gets closer and closer, but it never actually touches. That's what I see both of them as. So with science, it's like we're always gathering more and more information. We're always evolving our understanding of certain things, especially with human studies, like what we're doing with yoga. It's like we're never going to fully know this sequence is proven for this condition. That's just not how it works. But we're getting more understanding of how things work as time goes. And same with yoga. It's like it's constantly evolving, but there's no like there's not this moment, or I don't think there's this moment where the, the two lines touch where it's like, oh, I've hit this peak and I'm at truth. I think it's a constant questioning and curiosity and evolving. And that's what makes it more interesting. Do you think that the reason that we will never fully understand human studies is that because we're too close, like we can't zoom out enough? Mm, that's a good perspective. Uh, I think it's more that everybody's different. And this goes back to why yoga works so well. Everybody is so individualized. We could say, you know, the, this sequence of poses is helpful for arthritis. Well, but it depends. This other person has arthritis in their knee, but this person has it in their shoulder or they have it so that it's in the front of their knee. So it hurts when they bend their knee this way, but this other person has it in the back of their knee. And this person's arthritis acts up when it's cold out, but not when it's, you know, there's all these factors that everybody's so individualized. And that's why yoga is the perfect fit is because it is individualized for the person. You can modify each pose, each practice. Um, so that's why I think more is like, with research, it's not as simple as a pill, you know, that we're giving a pill and the pill works or not. It's like, well, we're giving this practice that's infinitely customizable. And you have to have, as a teacher, both the intuition and the experience to be able to apply it appropriately for that person. The longer that I'm in this world and the longer that I'm in the role of the teacher, the more I see and share, oh, there's not one right answer. There's never just one right answer. Yet there's this strong desire, especially in the beginning. I want to know how to do it right. And then I think yoga teachers, we, they see that also in their students. When they are thinking about, oh, I want to do a workshop, the number one thing that a yoga, that if they ask their students, the students are going to say, oh, well, I want alignment. I want to know if I'm doing it right. And so there's this tension here between we want to know more, we want to feel capable and knowledgeable, but 
the deeper we dive into knowing more, the more we have to surrender to not knowing. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And that's what many wise people have said, Aristotle, uh, you know, that, that the more we know, the more we realize we don't know. <laughs> um, so the more questions we have, and that's what I hope my book sparks and my work in general is that people leave with more questions and not feeling like they know this one answer. I, you know, I started yoga in the same way, so I can relate to it. I don't think that's a, a wrong thing as a beginner student is to be like, well, I want to do the pose quote unquote, right. You know, I, I, I'm a recovering perfectionist and I remember first starting yoga and trying to get every pose perfect according to the pictures. And it, it took years for me to realize for it to sink in as part of my journey that it's not about getting the poses perfect. It's about being perfectly okay with who you are in your body, in this moment, in this pose, in this shape, whatever it may be. Um, and that, that was a point of tension between me and the editorial staff, not really so much editorial, I had a great editor, but more the um, publisher in general, is that of course they want the fancy looking poses with perfect alignment. And something like shoulder stand, I was like, well, I'm not doing full shoulder stand because I don't think really, unless somebody uses a lot of blankets and even then, I don't know if it's really worth its while, can we do half shoulder stand? You know, and they're like, well, that's not as pretty. And I'm like, yeah, but it is going to be a lot safer. And here's all the reasons. So there was constant, like, I wanted simpler poses that were more accessible and modification variations that are more accessible. Um, but there's this feeling like I want that they wanted the, like, the, the alignment, you know. And I was, tr I tried to be really careful with my words about alignment cues because it, it, you may be at, you know, 90 degrees at your knees, but you may not it's using words like that because it really depends on the person. Do you think that yoga teachers could be doing a better job of explaining what yoga is to their students to help them through that phase of trying to do it right? Or do you think that sometimes it feels like it's a futile endeavor to try to be like, no, actually, it's not about doing it right. I mean, to some degree, maybe I'm answering my own question here, but yeah. we do need to just repeat ourselves. And eventually, some, for some people, it will sink in and for some people, it won't. But there is this trend with social media of show showcasing these beautiful poses. And that is misleading people inadvertently. Even if the text underneath the pose is really profound and beautiful, we are such, in general, I think many people are very visual learners and we, the visual impact is much stronger than the, than the words that we read. So I'm curious about your thoughts on how we communicate about what yoga really is and the true potential of yoga, especially to the people we're trying to reach and trying to help who at first glance are going to see people in these deep backbends, people in these very deep twists, people in these handstands, and their first sense is that's what yoga is. That's the goal of yoga. I think it's really important for us as yoga teachers and yoga therapists to keep the yoga in yoga, right? So to make sure that we are teaching all aspects of yoga, a really well-rounded class. So that means that we are incorporating meditation, 
we are incorporating some breath work, some pranayam. We are incorporating the rich philosophy of yoga, either overtly or subtly. So there's many times where I will have an entire class based off of the koshas. And I will go through each kosha in each pose, but I never once say anamaya, pranamaya. I say, feel your physical body, feel your energy and your breath, feel your mental and emotional state. Now notice, is there any wisdom that's coming forth from the body, from this moment? And what would it be like to rest in this sense of peace and bliss here? Like I can say those as cues through an entire class and nobody has to know that I just went to the koshas. Same for the yamas and niyamas or lessons from the Bhagavad Gita. You can incorporate those with the, with the Sanskrit words if that's what your, your students are digging or you can use your own way to interpret it but still keeping that rich philosophy in there and what I think is so amazing when I started to dive into reading more research and going to research conferences on yoga is that you would think oh or maybe I would, or many people think um, right off that yoga research is about, well, this pose for this condition or um, this practice, this sequence of poses for this condition, but it's not. It's about does a well-rounded yoga practice help somebody manage stress? Does a well-rounded yoga practice using all of those components I just said help somebody improve their balance with Parkinson's disease? Does a well-rounded yoga practice help somebody improve their, um, their management of PTSD? So it is usually the research itself is doing a well-rounded yoga practice. And that, that's tough because then we don't know what component is it that's working. But what we do find is that it works better than just exercise mm-hmm. or just one component uh, of it, um, just the mental side of it. What would you say to the yoga teachers, usually maybe a newer yoga teacher, but it can it can come up for all of us who feel that there's an expectation from their students that they really just want a physical practice and that when they're talking about the mental and emotional and spiritual aspects of yoga, that it's just talking, like it's too much talking. How, how would you suggest that these teachers approach bringing a more well-rounded class to their students without feeling like they're dragging them, kicking and screaming somewhere they don't want to go? <laughs> I mean, I, I do it very subtly and trying not to be on a like podium talking down to people like we're yoga students ourselves learning on the path. Um, so explaining it as like this really helps me and this helps me when I'm trying to fall asleep make it practical, but also I do think it's really helpful and encouraging for students to weave in genuine benefits. So people are more likely to do it if they're like, oh, this might help reduce my knee pain. Oh, okay. Well, this might help me sleep better. Oh, wow, okay. This practice might help me um, with uh, improve my circulation. Well, that's what I need. I was just at the doctor and I found out I had poor circulation. I had cold feet all the time. So things like that, they're going to start connecting it to their their life, which is something I tried to outline a lot of those key benefits in my book, because there's a lot of woo-woo benefits that I just think are myths and need to be busted. So sometimes as a teacher, it's hard to know. Like, for example, you know, the one that I often use as a, as a common example is that twists ring out the toxins. 
Like, what does that mean? It's just that that really has little meaning. Why not say simply twists help to stimulate your digestion, stimulate movement through your digestive tract, that peristalsis so that you can have healthy um, digestion and movement. Like, I think that that's something people want, you know, with so many people dealing with constipation and bowel movements, that's what they want. I don't think anybody's coming to class saying the toxins thing, maybe they are, um, but I, I don't want my students to feel that they are toxic or that there's something that needs to be cleansed in them. Um, I think that there's some benefits that are, that are more real that we can focus on. And that's going to make people more likely to actually do the practice. Well, you bring up a really important and kind of hot topic, which is that of misinformation and these benefits that have been passed down from teacher to teacher. I'm very frequently fielding questions, for example, from Light on Yoga. Yeah. Well, in Light on Yoga, Mr. Iyengar says that this pose does this. And, and I'm like, well. Yeah, yeah. Um, so first of all, there's that. There's that people in authority. There's this evolution of understanding also and, and bringing science into yoga I think is, is more of an, something that's evolving and has evolved in the past 10, 20 years. So when Mr. Anger was writing his book, it was like science and yoga were pretty separate, I think. That first book, Light on Yoga, at least. And so not only in Light on Yoga, and obviously Mr. Anger is a very um, well-known authority on yoga, so that's that's kind of a big challenge there. But even just in regular classes, people will go to classes, the teacher will say something like twist detox you. And then that teacher will go and say it to their class and that teacher will go and say it to their class. And so there becomes this myth, this mythology of the benefits of yoga, which I think you and I are on the same page with the fact that yoga has so many benefits that are measurable and are evidence-based that we don't need to rely on myths. We don't need, like yoga doesn't need that. But the challenge is that mo many yoga teachers do not have the education to discern between a valid claim and an invalid claim, or, you know, kind of like a more of a mythy claim. So that is my question for you is how can yoga teachers be better about fact checking the benefits of yoga? Well, if you don't understand it, then don't say it. Like if you, if, what I always do is I just go through a line of questioning of asking why. So if I hear a cue, I'm just going to ask why a bunch of times, like a two-year-old. Okay. Um, so let's take one. I, I believe Iyengar said this one too. So it's not to the benefit side, but to the caution side, but about women not avert, inverting. So, so why? Why shouldn't women invert while they're on their period? Okay. Well, then the teacher or somebody may come to me or my Google search may show up. Oh, well, that's going to cause um, retrograde. So it's going to cause the blood to flow into areas that it doesn't need to go into. Okay, well, does, what's wrong with causing retrograde? And is retrograde really common? Why, why is that a thing? So then I start looking into retrograde. Okay, well, retrograde, some people say that that can cause endometriosis, but you look further into it and it's 
not really that conclusive, actually. There's not a conclusive connection between retrograde and endometriosis. And the majority of people just naturally have retrograde. And then you look even further and you're like, well, would inversions even cause retrograde more if we're already having it just standing walking around? And it's like, well, that's not how retrograde happens by turning upside down. You should be able to move in all different directions. Gravity is not what does it. It's the uterine contractions. So I just asked a bunch of questions. Why? And by doing that, maybe, you know, reading a book, searching, asking people common sense, I'm realizing, well, maybe it's okay for women to invert. Maybe that was something that, you know, maybe men created. That's where a lot of these initial things came from, right? Like maybe it's not something that science really stands behind. Maybe it's something we just don't understand yet. And how do I feel when I'm on my period and I turn up to them? Well, I feel okay. I don't really feel like doing a headstand. So maybe I'm just going to put my legs up the wall. That's my decision. And I feel empowered to, to do that. But I don't want to go around fear mongering to all my classes that, oh my gosh, don't go upside down while you're in your period. You're going to get endometriosis because then there's that woman that comes in and I know her. She says she's not able to have babies because she has endometriosis and she blames her inversion practice. That's not a healthy thing. So it goes for both things, both the benefits and the cautions. I just constantly, why, 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 why? And if I don't understand it, I'm not saying it. And you know what that invites is more silence in our classes, which yes. I think is a good thing. <laughs> yes, yes. A little space for people to have their own experience. If you don't know what to say, don't say anything at all. Yeah, you don't have to be an expert. You just have to hold not space. Not in everything. In the book, you talk about how yoga works both top down and bottom up. Can you explain that a little bit more? Yeah, so that's one of the reasons why yoga is so effective for many of these lifestyle diseases that I said, like um, chronic pain, heart disease, um, depression and anxiety, uh, all these things that so many people are dealing with in the, in the modern day is because it's not just working in one direction. It's working in two directions. So top down is like neurocognitive or mind body pathway. That tends to be something like psychotherapy, right? Like we're going to change our thoughts and that's going to change our physiology. When we change our thoughts and we have more peaceful thoughts, then our, our blood pressure goes down and we, um, we don't have as intense of um, constriction of our blood vessels, for example. Now, um, bottom-up processes are how the body affects the mind. So this is the neurophysiological pathway or body-mind pathway. We can look at it that way. And this is like exercising helps us release endorphins, right? Like, and that makes us feel better. So movement helps us feel better. Well, yoga is working on both of these pathways. So it's not just working on that, that side that exercise works on or that psychotherapy, for example, works on. It, it has the meditation and the philosophy components that work in that top down, that mind-body pathway. And then it has the movement practices also that work on that body-mind pathway. That's a really beautiful and succinct way to explain to our students why yoga is so powerful and to inspire them to practice regularly. Yeah. And it's not to say it replaces psychotherapy. It's still great to go to 
to get talk therapy, right? And it's still great to do your run or your more active uh, sort, of, sort of cardio exercise. Like we still need both of those separately, but the fact that yoga provides both at once, um, it, it allows it to have this extra spark uh, this extra spark to help the benefits um, be even more profound. I think so too. And I think it might help with the integration mm -hmm. of the mind body and the body mind. So we develop, you know, we can develop two sides of ourselves separately. And then it becomes even more powerful when those two sides are able to coordinate more effectively. Well said. Well, and this was really informative and fun. I really appreciate your time. And we are planning also a Instagram giveaway of your book. So I highly recommend any yoga teacher who's interested in the benefits of yoga for the different, different layers of the human to pick this book up. And um, if you want a chance to win, you'll want to go on to Instagram. What's your Instagram handle? So I have one specifically for the book, scienceof.yoga. That would be a really great one to follow. I have my mine also, Anne Swanson Wellness, but scienceof.yoga would be great to follow for this. And also yoga teacher resource. And tag us both in a post talking about the book, saying that you're entering, and we will pick one winner at random I'll have in the outro, I'll have the exact dates for the giveaway. Yeah, great. Feel free, anybody, tag me on Instagram, shoot me a note about what you love about the book in general, questions you have about the book. Um, you can head to my book or my website, www.scienceof.yoga for more information or just to shoot me an email with a question or comment. And how else can listeners find you and find out more about you? Yeah, so I am a yoga therapist, actually work with people telehealth worldwide. And my website for that is anneswansonwellness.com. More on the book and resources about the book. It's being released in over 10 languages so far. That is on my website, www.scienceof.yoga. And um, please follow me on Instagram and stay in touch. Shoot me an email. Uh, you know, if you buy my book on Amazon, leave me a review that really means a lot to me and uh, stay in touch in all of those ways. All right. So here's how you can win a copy of Anne's book. Come and find me, yoga.teacher.resource on Instagram. Tag any friend of yours who's a yoga teacher in the book giveaway post between July 4th, that's today, the day this podcast is released, and July 10th, 2019. For an extra chance to win, create your own post with one thing you learned or found interesting listening to today's podcast and tag both myself at yoga.teacher.resource and at science of yoga. All these instructions are spelled out on the post, so the only thing you really have to remember is head over to Instagram, find my profile at yoga.teacher.resource. For those of you in the U.S., I really hope you enjoy fireworks. I personally have some trauma around them. When I was five, I watched a friend's house catch fire and burn to the ground from fireworks. My dad got second-degree burns trying to help put the fire out. Whenever possible, I try to be out of the country or deep in the woods on the 4th, 
And as long as all goes according to plan, I am going to be in Europe when this episode airs, which is such a profound relief for me. If you are like me, and this is a tough time of year for you, I hope you will do what you need to do in order to take care of yourself, your pets, and your loved ones. It's these moments when the external world is not under our control that we need our practice more than ever. One of the biggest gifts from our practice is the ability to influence our own nervous system, to reduce the amount of sympathetic activation in this case, triggered by external circumstances. If your reaction is too big to manage alone, please reach out for help. And those of you who enjoy the party, who love fireworks, who find this to be an incredibly fun celebration, please consider this your PSA to be aware that not everybody does. May we all find ways of celebrating that honor the needs and challenges of others while still fulfilling our own desire to observe the days and ideas that are meaningful to us. Thank you for listening, yoga teacher. Thank you for caring. And thank you, especially for the work that you do in the world. 